listeners, the episode you're about to listen to is a reboot of our Frida Kahlo episode originally released September 20th, 2016. We've learned a few editing tricks over the years, so every once in a while we like to pick an episode from the early days of the podcast and clean it up a little bit and send it back out to you. Also, a few announcements. In case you didn't know, we do an exclusive bonus episode every month for our patrons on Patreon. And for the month of March, we're going to do a Patreon-only Q&A. It will include all four of us, me, Nat, Jenny, and Jen, and we will answer every single question that comes to us from now until March 15th on Patreon. You can ask us about art, history, pop culture, school, personal life, whatever, and we will answer all of those questions that get submitted on Patreon by March 15th. Obviously, you must be a patron to participate. You can become one for as low as $1 a month. If you have questions for us that you wanted answered, maybe you emailed us and and we never got to your question, this is your chance to get those questions answered. Patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. And of course, shouts out to all of our patrons, including our producer-level patrons, Sarah Sawachka-Dalton, Anna-Marie Piccioni, and Teresa Rogers. We appreciate you. Another fun thing we're doing, we're going to have a March giveaway. We're still putting together all the goodies for the March giveaway, but it will include an original piece of artwork by Chicago-based contemporary artist Tiana Bracey. We'll post that on our Instagram if you'd like to see it. In order to be entered to win the giveaway, you gotta give us some love on iTunes. Head over to iTunes and write us a review. Take a screenshot of that review and email us, arthistorybabes at gmail.com. I believe you can only write one review per iTunes account, so there isn't really a way to get additional entries for this giveaway but if you have a friend or a family member that's willing to let you write a review on their account I guess that's one way to do it so yeah just make sure to write those reviews take a screenshot email us arthistorybabes at gmail.com if you haven't already heard we are currently partnering with artandobject.com it's a great resource for art, art history, contemporary art news, and educational resources like podcasts. You can find all of our new episodes up on artandobject.com. Be sure to check it out. As I said, this is our Frida Kahlo episode. We are, of course, big fans of Frida over here at the Art History Babes. If you want additional Frida content, we have a video on YouTube. It's actually a review of three books about Frida Kahlo. It's also kind of an extension of the conversation that happens in this episode. So head over to our YouTube and check that out. We'll also make sure to link it in the show notes. And I'm currently working on a Spotify playlist inspired by Frida and this episode. So make sure to find us on Spotify and follow us. FYI, there's two separate pages on Spotify because the way podcasts work on Spotify, we don't really have access to that page. So there is the Art History Babes podcast page, and then there is an Art History Babes Spotify account where we are creating playlists inspired by art, artists, and episodes of the podcast. So be sure to check that out. All right. Wow. So much information. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. And I'm Jen. And we are the Art History Babes. And today we are all super fucking jazzed. Oh my god. Because we are talking about one of our all-time favorites, 
Miss Frida Kahlo. Bam, 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 bam. We, did, we did a lot of the air horn last time. I, I don't think I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> Do you time. still have it? Did you I, keep that? Of course I have it. What's it called again? It's called Ham Horn. This is going to be a very um, emotional episode. We're going to cry. We're going to cry. We're going to laugh. We're going to get really, really excited. We're going to get mad. <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be great. But also just full of so much cool information about Oh, she was the best. God, she was awesome. Yes, um, queen. So we're going to start things off the way Frida would have wanted. Yeah. With. Let me salt you. Salt me up. <laughs> no, nope, this one probably. Lick, yeah, lick your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I know, I'm actually like a through, fucking noob. We've been through undergrad. <laughs> I know, I've done this before. It's been a minute since I've Maybe. taken a tequila shot. We're, we're, doing, real. we're doing a shot, you guys. And here's the okay. thing. Um, Frida would have not done a shot. Is, is you know she wouldn't have done a shot. She would have taken that bottle and she would have done a huge <laughs> swing off of it and made us look like a few bitches. Here, um, salt me. Did you lick? I did. Look how okay. wet it is. <laughs> my whole tongue on it. All right, there we go. That's right. good. This is lovely salt, by the way. Yeah, we got the pink Himalayan <laughs> crystals. Yeah, it's like wow, those are beautiful. Um, it's like a little bit of pretentious salt, but it's only like twenty cents more than the regular salt. <laughs> Side note, Natalie doesn't do anything like half-ass like it's always like a hundred percent the best it's, of the it best it actually borders on extra but it's not extra it's, <laughs> it's, okay. it's Dude, just it's, enough it's the capricorn in you that's very capricorn you guys yeah, like oh the God, finest things in life a capricorn <laughs> kind of materialistic it sucks <laughs> you are a little bit but i definitely i i own that shit but the reason like i appreciate capricorn materialism it, it's not just like having shit for the sake of having it you just want the best of everything yeah and i kind of get that weird. okay i'm glad that you know this is a capricorn thing because that is definitely thing that i do so it's, uh oh my capricorn babies i love you so much all right okay so, so this one's for frida this one is for um natalie's capricorn ness and uh we love you all, all right, right. Here so, we go. cheers cheers Woo! boom i fucked it up mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. Oh, oh man! Oh. Woo! Oh my god! Ugh. I forgot my salt. <laughs> I just totally forgot to put that tequila in the freezer. Honestly, wasn't wasn't as bad as I thought mm. it was to me. You lick your salt? No, I forgot. No, I did totally, I, like, totally forgot that. No, um, we also just had it before we did this. We had a conversation about how. Really, none of us have ever had a good night that started with taking shots, but we want to amend that tonight. I think tonight will be a good night. Tonight's going to be good. And you know what, dudes? God, if Frida were here, she could drink anybody under the table. Oh my God, yeah. She owned that shit, and I appreciate her. Cheers, Frida. Let's do Ooh, it right cheers. here. Cheers. We also have margaritas, so we're just doing it up with the tequila it's tonight. It's just out of control. It's, it's going to get out of control. No, it's not. It'll be fine. <laughs> Um, Famous last words. Yeah, right? We also have a little Frida doll. We posted a picture on the Instagram of us, um, and we have it's we have so this cute. super cute little Frida doll with us. It's um, adorable. It's really adorable. Oh, God. And they did such a good job on her hair. All of the details, Her man. little unibrow is just so cute. I just have Frida everything. It's out of control. She's the best. We should definitely talk about the marketing of Frida. Oh, man. Man, this is gonna be such a long episode, guys. Book along. This is gonna be so great. It's gonna be long, but you're gonna like it. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great. But yes, that is an important thing to talk it's about. It's so important. Let's so, get going into her yeah, life. Yeah, let's get going. I wanna start out with a quote. And 
I would like to do a really quick shout out to an awesome documentary that we watched and it is so good and it's on the internet and I highly, highly recommend it if you want to get to know more about Frida. It's called The Life and Times of Frida Kahlo. came out in 2005, directed by Amy Steckler and um, it's a PBS documentary. And it is so good, it's you guys. It's so good. And it's on YouTube, so you just, have no excuse not to watch, watch it. Just watch it. It's like so an good. hour and a half long, and it is so good. They interview her past lovers, friends, her students, because she was teaching there for a little while. It is really good. So a lot of that documentary is informing this podcast, as well as just, like, knowledge that we've gathered, because we've all been obsessed with her for so long. Yeah, for real. It's hard not to be. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you probably will be obsessed with her, too, oh. in, like, I'll give you, like, 20 minutes. If you're not already, I mean, she's yeah. a big, like, people fucking love Frida for good reason. So I'm going to start out with a quote, and it's a letter that Frida wrote around the time that um, she and Diego started to reconcile. I want to tell you that I've behaved well, that I haven't had any affairs or amusements or lovers or anything like that, that I love Mexico as never before, that I adore Diego more than my own life, and that I'm becoming a serious person. Frida Kahlo. Born in 1907, just outside of Mexico City, Frida would often lie about her birth date. So it was 1907, but she often said she was born in 1910. And not for the stereotypical reason that women lie about their yeah, birth Yeah, there, no, there was no vanity in it, unless you can consider vanity being wanting to be associated with the Mexican Revolution. So the Mexican Revolution officially kicked off in 1910, and it was a very important, one of the most important revolutions that has happened in modern times. Reason being that Mexico, over a span of like 500 years, has been through conquest after conquest, colonial rule, war, civil war, revolutions. There, it's just Mexico's history is written in blood, and the the revolution of 1910 was really uh, one of the biggest, like most bloodiest battles, and it was a response to the 30-year dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, which is known as the Porfiriato. And um, so that went on for 30 years before the War of 1910. In 1810, Mexico fought the war for independence from Spain. Unfortunately for Mexicans, after Mexico declared their independence as a free country, they immediately just fell into a dictatorship. And most of the peoples in power were Europeans, or what are known as uh, Criollos. The Criollos were Mexican in the sense that they were born in Mexico, but they were of European descent because mixing amongst natives of Mexico was super taboo. There's so much to talk about when you think of like the whole castas system in Mexico and how they divided themselves up and how they mm-hmm. categorized their racial mixing. And that is just a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> so we're not going to go into that too much. But 1910 
the agrarian peoples of the country just had had enough. And the the disparity between the rich and the poor was so disgusting and, and awful that there was revolution. And the revolution went on for a good 10 years. So the Mexican Revolution was probably the single most important event to have occurred in the childhood of Frida. Uh, she recalled having to hide when hungry soldiers would would just come into the houses and they would expect to be fed. And there would be times where there were Zapatistas, which were the, the, the followers of Emiliano Zapata, who was a very famous general, would, would come just over the walls and just look for sanctuary because the war was happening in the middle of the city. I mean, uh, it was a war that was happening right outside of your front door. And it, and it went on for a long time. And the result of that was that the early years of Frida were characterized by extreme violence and, and uncertainty. But also it was really exciting. After the war was won, essentially, Mexico just flourished and became, especially Mexico City, became a totally modern city easily competing with like Paris, you know, Mexico City, it became a mecca for artists, philosophers, poets, there's the the gay poets Mm -hmm. is what they were known as or or a big movement around this time. And the great Mexican muralists were a big product of that. And, And that is really where Frida's story sort of begins as far as being an artist. Before we go into that, Frida was born to a German father and a Indian mother. So she was a mestiza, which is a mixing of um, European and Indian. Very taboo. It's still kind of taboo. I mean, yeah, definitely. If you go to Mexico, still Indians are looked down upon. The indigenous people are the most disenfranchised people in Mexico still to this day. I think that's something that spreads just about anywhere, though, like being mixed ethnicity or mixed race, like... You have that issue of not fully belonging to either side of things. And so they become a disenfranchised people much easier, I think. Or even just like colonization. So then you get this really distinct break between the colonizers and the colonized. Even after colonization is over, it lingers. It's never really over. Yeah, Yeah. it lasts. It's very fascinating. Post-colonial theory look it up but don't so expect to understand it <laughs> we spend so we much of our time so much. colonialism i like i wish i had account for how many times i've used the word colonialism in the past year like, yeah. i'm gonna go it's... through all the papers that i wrote oh man because we're our generation is dealing with so many issues caused by colonialism yeah like, we are in the era of dealing with all this yeah. bullshit <laughs> right. that colonialism yeah. caused which will it's... which hopefully will um help us have a career yeah right, right. <laughs> so uh, thanks we'll colonialists <laughs> we'll definitely do an episode that's kind of like intro to post-colonial theory because it's just such an important especially in our work right yeah. now it's so important yeah it's huge back <laughs> back to, to back to frida um okay her dad was a german his name was guillermo Gallo. uh he had a different name in germany i don't remember what it is it's not important he was guillermo <laughs> 
And so Guillermo was a photographer. He took pictures of all of the new buildings for the new democratic government of Mexico. And um, he and, and his wife had many children, all of them daughters. Frida didn't have any brothers, but Frida was the favorite. And it was very open. He loved Frida the most. And he said that he loved Frida the most because she was the most like him. Yeah. Do with that what you will. It's kind of messed up, but whatever. He, he thought she was the most intelligent. She was the most sure. intelligent. She was precocious. She was a tomboy. She was rebellious. She and her mother did not get along. In a letter, Frida said that her mother was hysterical from dissatisfaction because she was not in love with her father. No because problem. she, um, her mother had like a, a lover in her younger years that committed suicide, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That she like, never got over it. That she never got over, yeah. yeah. Rough. Um, yeah, intense stuff. We're already dealing oh, with intense stuff here. That hurts my heart. I know, um, right? Frida Kahlo, um, she was diagnosed with polio at the age of six. She spent several months confined to her home. She survived with a limp. She had a weak leg. Uh, I went to this really cool museum in, well, it was actually, it's her house in Mexico City. It's oh my God, that's the so blue cool. House, the Blue House in Mexico City. It's no. in Coyoacan. And they had an exhibit of her clothes and her shoes. And all of her shoes had a very significant lift in, I think it was the right leg. It's so she had a short leg. Is the Blue polio. House typically like open? Yes. Is it, oh yeah. my god! It's a I museum. Go so bad. It's really cool. Uh, That's the and I think now it's the Museo Museo Frida. Yeah. yeah. But it's her house. It's like yeah. where she lived, and it's got like her bedroom, mm-hmm. and there's just all this cool stuff. They left everything somewhat the way it was you know i mean uh, obviously it so looks cool it's so cool her bed is there like all of her um all of her little like stuff all of her little stuff it's just there it's really cool uh frida Kahlo, she went to a super elite school in mexico city called the national um preparatory school known as la prepa and at the prepa was the first time that she met Diego Rivera when he was starting to paint some of his first government sanctioned murals. So he was painting a mural in the theater of the school and that is where Frida first met him. So she would play pranks on him and mess around and and, and mess with him. And, and that's real. That actually happened. She met him there, but she was like an annoying teenager and he was a famous artist that had just gotten back from Europe and learned mm-hmm. all about Cubism and El Greco. And he was like, <laughs> oh, I'm so serious. And Frida was like, oh, you're a piece of shit. You know? <laughs> and that was really the beginning of their sort of like karma, you know, mm-hmm. if you will. Then the oh, because he sucks. This brings <laughs> out the worst. It really does. You know, sometimes there's just um, those relationships that you get into where you're like crazy about the person and you guys have this whirlwind relationship and um but you bring out the worst in each other and i think that frida and diego had an element of that hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But um, Frida, it's very important to talk about her first love. His name was Alejandro Arias, and uh, they were madly in love. They were 16. He reports in later interviews that Frida was very sexually precocious as a teenager, that for her, sex was a way of enjoying life. Mm -hmm. It was a vital impulse, and that never changed throughout her entire life. But they had a crazy love affair, and and were so lucky because all these letters still exist. And so they were together for a few years, and there's a really cute little quote. She says, Tell me if you don't love me anymore, Alex. Because I love you, even if you don't care for me any more than for a flea. Aww. Aww. Young, young love. It's so desperate. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, I love full, you. Full of ultimatums. Oh. Yeah, I oh, need to man. know. I need oh. to know. You must be mine. <laughs> I know. God. Oh, man. Oh, and Alex, as she called him, was with Frida when she was involved in the accident that changed her life forever, which is known as the trolley incident in Mexico City. And Natalie has some stuff to say about that. It's not a pretty story, so I'm going to be your uh, resident downer tonight. Oh, boy. <laughs> so um, September 17th, 1925, she was on a bus from Mexico City to her parents' home in the suburbs, and she- like Jen said, she was with her boyfriend, Alex. As the story goes, they actually had been on another bus and she had lost her parasol. So they got off to try and find it and then ended up on this fateful bus that resulted in the accident. They were on a wooden bus. They were small. They'd be crammed with a lot of people. They were actually supposedly seated when the accident happened. And what was happening, this actually makes sense that the buses were new because supposedly the driver was kind of careless and driving pretty fast and recklessly and he was coming around a corner and was basically t-boned somehow by the trolley but it wasn't a quick impact fast accident it actually happened pretty slowly where the trolley was slowly hitting the middle of the bus until the bus snapped in two but when the bus did kind of snap and the trolley also fell apart because one of the handrails from the trolley metal went through Frida and actually came in the, what is it, came in the left side of her abdomen and came out through her lady parts. The vagina. (laughs) The vagina. Oh, Oh, God. Oh, man. Very horrible. Shit. Yeah, it it literally skewered her. Oh, it hurts me. Yes, and it did a lot of damage. And it wasn't only damage from this handrail, because I will go over all of her injuries. They are vast. Didn't, like, I don't remember if it was a bus driver or, like, a bystander. Like, he, like... Press down on he, her he, abdomen. He put his knee yes. down yeah. and on like, her belly and pulled it out. Isn't that insane? Um, you don't do that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if you're ever in this situation. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah. If, if you ever have something lodged in your body that doesn't belong there, don't pull it out. Go yeah. to the ER. And don't because pull it out of someone else. <laughs> you will bleed to death. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think his intentions were, were honorable. He was probably trying to save her. But yeah, you... That that's just um that's just not a good 
a good situation yeah. to be in. Oh, God. So I'm going to read. This is a quote from Alex about the incident. So it's actually, they have a lot on his experience and what he remembers. But I'm going to start with this part because it's hauntingly kind of beautiful in a way. So something strange had happened. Frida was totally nude. The collision had unfastened her clothes. Someone in the bus, probably a house painter, had been carrying a packet of powdered gold. The package broke and the gold fell all over the bleeding body of Frida. When people saw her, they cried, La ballerina, la ballerina. With the gold on her red, bloody body, they thought she was a dancer. I picked her up. In those days, I, had, I was a strong boy. And then I noticed before that Frida had a piece of iron in her body. A man said, we have to take it out. He put his knee on Frida's body and said, let's take it out. When he pulled it out, Frida screamed so loud that when the ambulance from the Red Cross arrived, her screaming was louder than the siren. Before the ambulance came, I picked up Frida and put her on the display window of a billiard room. I took off my coat and put it over her. I thought she was going to die. Two or three people did die at the scene of the accident. Others died later. If you guys have seen the uh, movie Frida with Salma Hayek, which is a great Film, by the way, it's done so well. Selma Hayek. So fucking hot. She's so hot. She's so hot. hot. Oh my god. Every time I watch that movie, Uh I'm like, do I even like men? I don't know. I I don't think I do. I know, for real. Oh god, Selma. You are so hot, babe. Anyway, that movie does a very good job of uh, describing how the accident went. She's not nude in the movie. She's but, not. Um, Which is kind of funny because... Because you get they, to see her naked Yeah, later. I was going to say, you see her naked many times. So it wasn't <laughs> modesty right. that prevented them from but doing anyway. that. But anyway. Oh, God. But maybe I could see... I could see why they didn't in the movie because, to be honest, I thought that the gold was kind of a Hollywood embellishment until I read this. Because it seems like it. It seems it like totally an unnecessary... Right, like, why would there be gold exactly. on her it's, bloody naked body? It That's... seems like an unnecessary detail. But despite... But it happens. Despite it happens, how horrible this accident was, like, that moment itself is something so magical that could only, like, happen to Frida. Yeah, you know? It's just, seriously. like, God. beautiful and magic and pain all rolled into one. It's crazy, and it makes yeah. me feel so many things. Yeah, so, do you have the official uh, yeah. doctor's report? Yeah. I do. So, correct me if there's anything missing. But, no, I, I'm okay. sure there isn't. So, I have... Her spinal column was broken in three places in the Ooh. lumbar region. So, no. that's lower lower back. Ow. Um, her right leg has two fractures, but on her right side was dislocated and crushed. She had a broken collarbone and two broken ribs. And her left shoulder was also dislocated and her pelvis was broken in three places. Oh, wait, 11 fractures. 11 fractures oh, shoot. in her That's where I was getting mixed up. Right I was, that's why I paused. Okay, yeah, right leg had 11 fractures, you guys. Between her right leg and foot it was basically shattered that leg would plague her for the rest of her life yeah when frida was in her later um i think early 40s she got gangrene on the right leg on the right foot and so that whole right leg just came right off they just they just cut it off god damn it i know what a horrible accident i know and it's happened to happen when you're a she was teenager. nineteen. You're like she in the throes of life. Like you, you think anything is possible. And yeah, then, uh... and everything was possible. Frida was out there banging hell with dudes, <laughs> having like some awesome young people sex. She was, <laughs> she was so smart. She was. She and her group of friends. They were called los cachuchas, which means the hats. They would wear these stupid hats. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, 
they, you know, it was a group of boys and she always hung out with the boys and they loved her because she was such a great, like outspoken sort of girl. And, you know, guys love tomboys. It's because men love themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, she was, she was going to be pre-med. Frida never had any intentions of becoming an artist. Yeah. Um, her dream was to be a doctor. She wanted to be a doctor. And she would have been a doctor because she was so smart and and just so just sure of herself and confident. And after the accident, she was confined to her bed for a whole year, a little bit longer even. She was literally bed bound for a year. And she suffered immensely um the year was horrible she her relationship with alex really took a turn for the worse you know not that alex was a bad guy he also learned of numerous infidelities yeah. that frida had engaged in before the accident so you know that was also really yeah. rough on the relationship so, if you do watch the movie or you have watched it that is one of the few things that they really don't they don't go into it no they don't they act like she dumped him because he went to europe which he does but that's after they had already reconciled and gotten back together after a year of her basically begging him to forgive her and really confessing her love to him and being very very vulnerable constantly yeah and so 1926 frida bedbound miserable her father who loved her so much made a very special canvas uh sort of situation like an easel for her that would sit perfectly on her bed so this was a bedbound easel that she could paint on from her, you know, position. And she would use that easel for the rest of her life, actually. So she began to paint. And one of the first self-portraits that she made, which she became known for her, her self-portraits, was... Was what, over over 50 in her lifetime, I believe? At least. It was 55, least. I think, something in... So her, her first self-portrait, it is from 1926. Frida painted a self-portrait. It's also known as self-portrait in velvet dress. And she painted her first self-portrait for Alex... Because she wanted her image to linger in his mind. And she sent him a letter. Alex, though I have said I love you to many and have kissed or been given ribbons by others, at the bottom of my heart, I have only loved you. The portrait will be at your house within a few days. I beg you to put it somewhere low where you can look at it as if you were looking at me. Frida, 1926. So, of course he accepted the portrait. It worked. <laughs> and, of course, they reconciled for a little while. And, uh, but, yeah, you know, he would he went off to Europe to go study. And they, you know, they broke up. But, you know what? They remained lifelong friends, Alex and, and Frida. And Alex would say later on in his life that Frida was one of the greatest loves of his life. And he would always love her and I just think that that's so sweet you know and yeah it's like it couldn't work because it was just too crazy but like we still love each other yeah. and I was like oh man <laughs> oh man <laughs> I love that stuff it strikes a little chord in my heart it's so great Ugh. so anyway that was her first foray into painting and 
by the time Frida was 21, she would be back on her feet and she really started to partake in, in the scene, the scene of Mexico City, the artists and the nightlife and the poets and the, you know, whatever. She was really in the best city at the best time that she could have been in. And in 1928, Frida and Diego would meet again. They met because of their mutual love for communism, the two of them. They were both extremely Marxist, and they they met up in one of the many, like, fancy artist parties of Mexico City. It's really the tale as old as time. Boy meets girl, boy talks to girl about Marx, and they just (laughs) fall in love. I'm saying, like, that is... Disney, get on that. (laughs) That is real. That is a real thing. Like, I want to meet me a man (laughs) talking about Marx. Right? Where is he? I know. Where are you? Let's talk about Marx. Yeah, so Tina Modotti, who was a like very uh, just prominent socialite, was the lover of Edward Weston, who was an amazing photographer. They were both photographers. She was Italian. She was living in Mexico City, and she and Frida were great friends. And of course they were lovers, because why the hell not? <clears throat> Tina would be the one to invite Frida to a party and Frida would meet up with Diego Rivera once again and they began their relationship and it you know it was very much a relationship based in intellect but also I don't know what the hell it was about that piece of shit I don't he I mean it wasn't even just Frida like he had all the women like just crazy about him um, I have this picture of Frida and Diego, and it's like one of my favorites because she looked fierce as shit. Look at oh, her. my Look god! Look at her, and, and and Diego's just like holding the pet monkey. Why are his pants so high? I don't know. He wore them, and he wore those tiny little ties. Like no, that I, was, I didn't know. I didn't know they made zippers that long. I know, right? But we'll post this on our mm. images for this. It's like, okay, so it's Frida and Diego. They're sitting next to each other. Diego's holding a monkey. But Frida is just, like, lounging back in the chair. She's like, what? And she looks so unbelievably fierce. It's, like, one of my favorite pictures of her. Anyways, she's just killing it like she always does. Always. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and it was so funny because, you know, like a mutual friend would say that Diego was unbelievably ugly. He was undeniably ugly. He was ugly as fuck. <laughs> but somehow he just attracted women like a magnet. Yeah. They just loved him. And it was Does like- anyone else see parallels between Frida and Diego and Beyonce and Jay-Z? <gasps> Oh my god, I've never even thought of that. Yeah, not only oh. does Beyonce actually look a lot like Frida, they really do in terms of facial structure, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a similar thing. Because she's like, a queen. She's a total queen. Jay-Z's, he's great, I love Jay-Z, not the most... He's not conventionally handsome. He's not, but women fucking love him. So, Diego, ugly as all hell, but um, god, so he had something. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was. You know what? That fool didn't even bathe. He didn't bathe. Like, he was disgusting. 
But I don't know, maybe he was just so talented. So so Frida and Diego, they become a thing. And, and you know, before they were really a thing, though, I, I like the story. Frida goes to his scaffold one day. He's painting in Mexico City at the Palacio Nacional, which we talked about last episode. And he's painting and Frida shows up and she tells him, come down, come down from there. I need to talk to you. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, who tells me to come down from my scaffold? Frida tells you to come down from your scaffold. (laughs) That's who. And so he did. And she brought him a series of paintings and was like, I need to know if I'm any good. You know, uh, I got to support my family. What do you think? Diego was blown away. And he will always—he had, he had always said this in later years that he saw just the most amazing talent. He thought that she was the most amazing artist, and he was a hundred percent like, "Yes, continue to paint. You're a real artist. You're amazing." And so she did. But they also decided to get married, and they got married. And Frida was twenty-one. Diego was forty-one, and they got married. And honestly, the marriage was a bad idea. And it was a bad idea because Diego Rivera was notoriously unfaithful. He couldn't keep it in his pants, folks. He had a doctor once tell him that he was unfit for monogamy. Like, a doctor. Fuck that doctor. (laughs) That is, if I've never, God, that's the most macho goddamn bullshit I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Anyway, he gladly accepted his diagnoses. So so they got married, and Frida's mother hated him. But Frida had racked up a significant amount of medical debt from all of her various ailments. And because of that, her father supported the marriage. Diego Rivera was a world-famous artist at this point in time. He was government-sponsored. And unfortunately, that matters when your family is under the crushing debt of your medical problems. Um, Also, Frida's dad, like, talked to Diego, and he said to him, he he goes, she's intelligent, but she's not pretty. mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, who are you looking at? Like, Frida is gorgeous. (laughs) She's hot. She's so good looking, and like, oh my god, she's so beautiful. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. what her dad was thinking. But... Maybe pretty meant something else back then. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But... Maybe. Because, yeah, I guess he was unconventional. So it could have something to do with that. The, the unibrow? Give me those eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> I want them today. <laughs> Give them to me. I want them. Anyway. So the marriage happens. And Frida and Diego, they're married. And it is just, um, it's a very, it's a loving relationship. They had a loving relationship. He was passionate. They were so passionate. He adored her. He he adored her. She was obsessed with him. We have her diary here. The Diary of Frida Kahlo. An intimate self-portrait with an introduction by Carlos Fuentes. It is amazing. Buy it if you love Frida. Read it because it's amazing. So yeah, you know, they they got married and, and it was it was great, but it was also very sad because um as much as they were obsessed with each other, he was horribly unfaithful and and that hurt Frida. She never could get over it. And she knew it. It's not like she went into the marriage not knowing. 
how he was. She just thought... Yeah, she thought, like, I'll be fine with it. I can deal with it. Or I think she... Didn't a part of her think, like, many have fallen into the trap of thinking... I can that change it would him. Be, exactly. It I would will be save different. him. <laughs> that it would be Wrong. different. That he would change. I mean, to be fair. Okay, to be fair, I do think it was different with her. He loved Frida yeah. like he loved no one else in his entire life. And yeah. that is fucking real. It just, yeah. Like, he loved her. But it didn't stop him from yeah. numerous affairs. There's a really good quote in the Frida documentary that we reference in this podcast. She treated him like a god. He treated her like a sweet thing. And that's true. That's real. She, she was obsessed with him. That's why I brought up the diary. Because if you read this diary, it is absolutely 100% just obsessive over Diego. Very, I think it was kind of unhealthy. And there's a painting called Diego on my mind. It's a self portrait and she has oh, him on her forehead. Mm-hmm. It's a and with the portrait of Diego in her forehead. And when I think about that painting, I really think about like that was really like the heart of like Frida. And I appreciate it so much because I think we can all sort of relate to being like that sort of like obsessive yeah. about a guy, just like oh, I'm like very honest about it, and and you don't really want to talk about it because it's like embarrassing. You're like oh, I don't, I just want to seem like I'm cool. No, <laughs> not Frida. She was like, no, I'm obsessed with him, and I appreciate that. Like no other the fact that she was just like so raw about it just yeah i'm obsessed and that's that like i'm not gonna hide my love or my passion doesn't he have a third eye in that little portrait too he does (laughs) and she painted him with the third eye several times i don't think that diego was woke (laughs) i really don't think that he was but rita just loved him and just thought the world of him I i sense a thesis was Diego Rivera <laughs> woke? He was, yo, he was woke as fuck. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, enough about Diego. <laughs> That's what I don't like. That's what I don't like about the she narrative of Frida. She is, and this happened. This happened in her lifetime. Was that she was so overshadowed by the celebrity of her husband, and her work just took the backseat for most of her life. And we are not going to do that with this podcast, but what we are going to do is uh, we're going to take a break. So we're going to take a break and we will be right back with some more stuff about her great art. Woo! We're back talking about Frida. Woo! Woo woo! Um, so we're going to jump into Frida in the U.S. Frida in the United States of America. She had heard from Diego Rivera's ex-wife, one Lupe Marin. She said, yeah, you know what? Marry my ex-husband. What the fuck ever. <laughs> you know, trying to act all cool. And um, she said... She was kind of cool. She was cool. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I like I like her. Like, she was hurt, you know, like, real bad. Because, mm. I mean, why not? Your husband leaves you. You have two daughters with him. Like, you know, what the hell? God Diego, you asshole. Anyway, so, um, but she was cool and she really befriended Frida and and really was a a lifelong friend, became like a confidant for her. And and Lupe told Frida, she said, well, as soon as he gets his first commission, that's going to be the end of it. Diego gets a commission to paint in the United States. Frida is very upset. 
she's thinking, well, here it is. And he invites her to come along and, and she goes and they decide she'd never been out of the country. And, and so they go to San Francisco and that's where their first of several commissions in the United States began. And they were just celebrities. They were super popular. At some point, they ended up in Detroit. And Diego Rivera painted a series of super, just superb works in Detroit. And Frida gets pregnant. The doctors told her, you can keep the baby. You know, you'll be able to make it. You know, side note. Frida um, had had several abortions at this point, many miscarriages. Her pelvis, like we have said, was like very much damaged in her accident. And she had a hard time. Like they don't really go into like the damage to her internal organs, like including her uterus. But I mean, it had to be bad, right? Like the bar went through her abdomen and out her, her vagina. Like the damage internally had to be pretty bad right i mean it seems it's just it sounds like the most horrifying accident of whenever i think about it something something got hit i become like a barbie (laughs) when i think about it like it's just like nothing is there it just just becomes like flesh yeah like because i'm just so afraid of what that would even be like i don't think we talked about how amazing it is that she lived like, yeah, that in yeah, itself. It's like they, they didn't, didn't think she was gonna live. No, no and like through the die. first through the first month after the accident, they thought she could still die. Yeah, so, like now she's pregnant. So scene go. Yeah, <laughs> so Rita pregnant. Doctors say you can carry the baby. It's possible. We'll deliver by cesarean. It'll be fine. She's elated. She's gonna have a baby. Wrong. Frida, one morning in Detroit, wakes up and she is bleeding and the bleeding would not stop. She suffered a massive hemorrhage and they couldn't stop it. And so she miscarried. Frida spent 13 days in the hospital, consumed with grief. She lost her baby. Um, She demanded to see the baby. So Frida asked for a pencil and paper and she began to paint Henry Ford Hospital, um, painted in 1932. It's small. It is, I have it. I'll pull it up. Yeah, it's a small. It's a, it's a small work. It's very bleak. The painting is uh, Frida's naked body on a bed. The bed is covered in blood. She's in a desolate landscape with a big sky, blue sky, and in the background you see industry. Detroit industry in the background, cold, metallic, steel. And um, in the foreground is the bed with her on it. And surrounding it is um, what looks to be like some sort of um, in mechanical component. There's a, an orchid, a human pelvis, a snail, a fetus, and a model of the reproductive organs of a woman. The snail is associated with childbirth and Aztec iconography. The orchid and the pelvis and the fetus, I think, all sort of like portray like womanly, you know, birth and and anatomy. And then the part that really gets me is this, this industrial sort of mechanical component that's attached to her body. All of these aspects in the painting are attached to her body by like a vein. Um, It's really freaky. I think that we can discuss a little bit of this format of painting 
a little bit. Are you, you passing know. it my way? <laughs> I'm big. I'm, I'm passing it your way. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right. So this type of painting, or at least at least when a lot of Frida's painting was considered, falls under the uh, term surrealism. Often. So. I'm actually going to start with a little personal anecdote Ooh. of Frida and what she means to me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so little baby Corey. And by baby, I mean I'm like 11 years old. Oh, you're um, a baby. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so I didn't really come from a situation where like visual, visual arts just weren't big in my family. Just was not a thing I grew up around, really. And so the fact that I got into visual art was something that just kind of happened to me. And it happened, like I can trace it back to this moment when I was about 11 years old, wandering around the public library and I stumbled on like the art section and I pulled out a book and it was a book about Salvador Dali. And like, I, I don't even know what attracted me to it, honestly at all, but I just like pulled it out and I started looking at it and I was like, what is this shit? This is so fucking dope. Like it was just weird ass pictures that didn't make, I was, I mean, I was little, I was young. None of it made any sense to me. Like, surrealism is crazy. Um, for those of you who don't know, like, surrealism kind of embodies the this 20th century art movement. And, and it, its main goal was to bring to the surface the unconscious. Mm -hmm. Like, it was to bring to the surface all the weird shit that goes on in your unconscious, right? So little 11-year-old me pulls out this Salvador Dali book, and I'm looking at all these paintings that are trippy as shit, and I was just enamored by it. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I also didn't understand it at all. But it just got me super into art. Like, I was just like, okay, I, I dig this. And very, very, like, almost immediately after that, I found out that there was a female painter that did something very similar by the name of Frida Kahlo. So really like my first artistic influence was Salvador Dali and then like immediately after was Frida Kahlo and being like such a young age having that like representation of like a female was like super important and now being and you guys can attest to this being in in art history, unfortunately, it's um, not a super common thing. You know, like the famous women artists are not as um, common as the famous male artists. Yeah, it's almost like a novelty when, yeah. when you get to like, oh, and now we have a woman artist. Yeah. We're like, whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. So yeah, it's like, a, it's like a big deal now. But to me, as a little 11 year old babe who was like new into this world, right off the bat, I had a, this female that like and yeah. that was like and you didn't know you yeah were like, so yeah. so from the beginning I had this amazing example of this strong powerful amazing artistic woman and that like I think changed who I am as a person you know like it it really affected me because it was like representations everything you know and it's like having that at such a young age was like really important to making me feel like I could do whatever I wanted you know and it's just, I don't know, speaks to how important she is to me personally and just as a really powerful woman in the 20th century doing amazing things. So Frida, god damn it. That's why, that's why we're obsessed with her. We're yeah. just like obsessed with her. I mean, yeah. because, I mean, yeah, there's like so many, there are many women artists that were just amazing, but no one quite with that just little spark. Yeah. You know, she just, 
she had that spark. But interestingly enough, she really rejected the term surrealism. Yes, she did. Okay, so she didn't really consider herself a surrealist. In fact, she was once quoted as saying that she didn't know she was a surrealist until Andre Breton, who she met in 1938, he comes to Mexico City, and he's part of the surrealist gang, the French surrealists. He comes to Mexico City and tells Frida that she's a surrealist. And Frida's like, okay, whatever. Cool. And honestly, many others kind of disagreed, including Diego. Diego considered her her a realist because she was expressing her reality, her, yeah. her real experience. I think that she considered herself a realist, too. Yeah. Like she painted her own reality is the famous quote. Yeah, right? yeah. Isn't that so funny? That some dude shows up <laughs> yeah. and tells a woman, well, here's what you are. Yeah. You didn't know, but here, now you know. Like, yeah. thanks, dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so Frida believed her work was basically just the frankest expression of herself. And whether it constituted as surrealism was really beside the point. She didn't really give a fuck. She was like, okay. So Frida, honestly, like, she didn't see a whole lot of success in Mexico. A lot of people thought her, at least during her lifetime, thought her work to be very eccentric. They preferred work like that of Diego Rivera, which had this message behind it, had a political message. It was kind of nationalist. It was very nationalist. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was propaganda. Like there's Absolutely. A, there's a quote by Diego that talks about how, like, like, what's the point of art if it's not propaganda? People really, really connected to his art but Frida's, um, there's a quote by her where she's like, four or five told me that they are super. The rest think that they are too crazy in response to her painting. So a lot of people just didn't quite get Frida in Mexico at the time. So Andre Breton discovers Frida, loves her work. I really love this quote. He refers to the art of Frida Kahlo as a ribbon around a bomb. Which, so her. Which is so perfect. Like, how dope is that? So this is 1938. This is the same year that she paints my favorite painting of hers, which, and there are so many, entitled What the Water Gave Me, which is also the name of a dope song by Florence and the Machine, what? FYI. So, you know, oh. check that out. Yeah, it's, honestly, if my soul were a band, it'd probably be Florence and the Machine. I think mine would be Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> so, What the Water Gave Me. Um, it's a, it, I mean, it does fall into the realm of surrealism. When you first look at it, it, it has. It's so trippy, yeah, guys. Yeah, it's trippy as shit. I actually, in researching this, I had to, I had to dive into my undergraduate archives because I did a project where I had to create a um, exhibit, a Frida exhibit. What? It was super fun. Yeah. To all my grad students out there, you know the feeling of going back and looking at your undergraduate work. Like, oh, God. This was all right. I did all right. But (laughs) it was still a little, it was a little rough. Okay, so What the Water Gave Me, obviously we'll post this. It's super trippy. It references all sorts of stuff. It references mythology, just different ancient iconography, and you have this image of there it's Frida's feet submerged in in the bathtub and then over the top of the water is really all sorts of crazy ass imagery and you know it's Frida's feet because her right foot is damaged which was the foot that she had issues with and it it kind of represents this idea of Frida being submerged by her life 
despite her experience. And it's just these layers of all these different things. She references in her use of like flora and fauna, she, refer she references Hieronymus Bosch, my like one of my favorite oh, my weirdos God. of all time. If you go on our Facebook, you know how much we're like yeah. obsessed with him. Our actual like Facebook name, like if you want to friend us, is Hieronymus <laughs> Bosch. That's us. <laughs> That's us. So um, yeah, he's such a weirdo and I love him. So this painting actually references Garden of Earthly Delights, which is an incredible work. One of the, I think the biggest things to note in this painting is this image of this American skyscraper. It is being engulfed by a volcano. And it's one, it's just a very powerful image. Two, it, it goes back to this notion of her hybridity, like the old versus the old and the new forming into one like being. It's also kind of funny to me because I'm thinking of like how much because Frida just started to hate the US. Yeah. She was like, I want to go home. I hate it here. <laughs> um, and she did. She wanted to go home. So Mexico City is known for having its valley of many volcanoos. So mm -hmm. it's uh, Popocatepel, is, or I'm not pronouncing yeah, it yeah. right, is the name of the big volcano in Mexico City. So the volcano is like in gold. Like it's like like eating the skyscraper. Yeah. And that imagery repeats itself in her work. Volcanoes show up quite a few different times. Speaking of places that she wasn't crazy about, France. Um, so Breton. In 1939, takes, like, Frida back to France with him. I think at this point in time, she's separated from Diego, I yes. believe. Yes. Oh, um, because Diego. <laughs> oh, Diego. Diego, yeah. you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love how whenever you get angry about Diego, you, so you get really quiet. This is the worst. <laughs> this is the worst. You tell him. Diego, you fucking asshole. <laughs> So Frida always was like, well, you know, yeah, he sleeps around, but these women are below me. They're just models. They're just like nobodies, whatever. It's fine, is what she's telling herself. Sure. Okay. But then Diego Rivera, being the goddamn asshole that he is, real. has sex with her sister. Oh! Her favorite sister. Her nonetheless. favorite sister. Okay. Christina was Frida's favorite sister. And to be fair, to be fair, like, don't get me wrong, bullshit move, Diego. But, Christina, what the fuck? Like, okay, come and, on, and, Christina. And, and you know what? You know what? I think that because that was her favorite sister and because they were always sort of, they always had kind of a competitive relationship. Yeah. Christina was very much an accomplice to her own banging. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's not like she was just like, oh no, help me. Uh, yeah, wasn't she Rivera. the sister who insisted that he was ugly? Yeah, yeah. Getting married? Yeah, so. God what the fuck God ever. damn it. There's a very beautiful painting by Diego Rivera. It's a woman's entire whole back. Um, it's her buttocks and her, her back and she's has lilies. her arms widespread and she's holding the calla lilies. That is Christina's butt. And um, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's I her. That I have that I painting that in Christina. my, that's in my parents' house. My dad has that painting. My friends used to come over and be like, who's that naked lady? I'd be like, I don't know. Now we know. Now we know. Fuck you, Christina. Oh, so that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I feel like, we were talking about this earlier, I almost feel like he was looking looking 
for her breaking point. Yeah, for real. Like, he had had many affairs, and she got over it. And she, you know, she didn't fall apart. Okay, hold on. Not only did she get over it. This is honestly one of my favorite Frida anecdotes. Oh, I love it. Because it's, like, so fucking badass. Okay, so lots of affairs. It's really kind of a part of their relationship. He has affairs. So does Frida. It, it kind of becomes this they give and take. But what, where it gets real good. And this is, I don't know, this is the vengeful part of my personality that just like loves this. But I'm like, like smiling <laughs> so much right now. This oh, is so great. I just realized where you're going. <laughs> okay. So Diego had to have his affairs because he was, you know, he was medically unable to be monogamous. Oh, but, Bullshit. <laughs> um, anyways, so... So you know what Frida would do? She wouldn't wallow. She wouldn't feel sorry for herself. She would go out and she would have affairs back, but not just with anyone, with the women that Diego had affairs with. Yeah! (laughs) Woo! She would straight up go and have sex with these ladies. And I think that is the most baller move. It really is. It really is. It doesn't get any better. (laughs) It really doesn't. Hey, Frida. Guess what? <laughs> that is, yeah! That's the ultimate right there. Okay. Um, so good. So God, good. Damn. Okay. As we were talking about <laughs> before we went on that very much needed tangent. It was good. Um, 1939. So Frida's over Diego right now. She's like, so I can't fuck you even handle this shit. piece of shit. Yeah. She, um, she kind of had a little bit of a, she hit a little bit of a breaking point. She had cuts off all of her hair. Cut off her hair. She's drinking a bunch. Moved into an apartment with her monkey. Yeah. Which, Wearing I mean. Dope ass menswear. She looked so good. She did. In a, she in a suit and tie. I respect her men's wear so much and I try to copy it a little. She rocks it. So she um, moves into that apartment and she does a really good painting. The painting is called Unos Cuantos Piquetitos. Okay? Which translates to just a few small nips. Oh. And that is a painting that she did after hearing about a story of a man who stabs his wife like a million times. Oh my god. We're we're looking at it right now. Um, 1935. A few small nips. The frame's all bloody. Oh man. So it's really dark. That was like what her work looked like at the time. And it was terrible. And she was like, fuck men. I hate them. And and, uh, it was a dark time for Frida. It was dark. She went real deep into her alcoholism. and, And it was a hard time. You know, Frida... We we know, girl. <laughs> we, we get it. So shit gets dark. And then in 1939, she goes to France with Andre Breton, just kind of doing her artist thing, just like living it up. And it's, she kind of hates France. She refers to the surrealists as cuckoo lunatic sons of bitches. <laughs> yes. She did, however, love our boy Duchamp. She referred to him as the only one with his feet on the ground. Oh, that's so sweet. I know, right? That's amazing because when we were talking about her, like, resistance of being called a surrealist, I just had all of these little alarms going off in my head, like, Duchamp, Duchamp. She loves him. Yeah, and that, I mean, they were pioneers in the fact that they were like, you're not going to tell me what my art is as I'm making it. For real. don't try to categorize me. It's not going to happen fuck you. And then they made what they wanted to make and they resisted categorization. And because of that, they're kind of like immortally uncategorizable. Like you can say that they kind of aligned with certain movements, but 
You can't lock their, them into any one place. They're their own thing. Exactly. Their own entity. Yeah. And not um, many artists you can say that about because they actively resisted it. For real. Um, another thing she referred to a lot of uh, the women she met as French bitches. Yeah. She thought they were too intellectual. They were hanging out at their coffee shops just talking shit all the time and she was like what the hell because one of the amazing things about Frida is she was like so down to earth and she just like loved to be with the people like she loved children because she thought of them as like little adults and she just like she loved people she loved people she she wasn't pretentious she wasn't about that at all yeah and she was just like a joker yeah she just like wanted to have a good time and she wanted to dance and she wanted to party and she just wanted to like connect with humans dope i love that story about when she meets henry ford oh it's so good when uh henry ford who is a known anti-semite and they're at like a fancy dinner party and she's like but mr ford isn't it true that you were a jew (laughs) and he's like Ah! <laughs> so yeah so she's definitely not on this like snobby you know wave her work if you're just talking about like visually it does follow this kind of it, it falls into the camp of surrealism i do have one just mega sexist quote that i want to bring up by a by a critic about surrealism uh henry mcbride oh man are you guys ready for this yes okay I hate him. <laughs> All right. Um, This is mostly in response to Frida. This is when Frida's doing really well in France and she's really like on the ups and like people really dig her work. Surrealism is about 70% hysterics. Not off to a good start. Jeez. 20% literature, 5% good painting, and 5% is just saying boo to the innocent public. Considering the statistics the doctors hand out and considering the percentages above, it is obvious the women ought to excel at surrealism. What? Fuck you. <laughs> Jen just died. <laughs> oh, I'm so upset. What is that? I know. Says no. that? Yeah, so that's a dick move. Um, says that? Henry McBride says that. Fuck you. Uh, um, so yeah, that's some of the bullshit Frida had to deal with. Can't believe it. Um, that's upsetting. Can't believe so it. that kind of brings me to my last little point. There is what is also so amazing about Frida's work and why so many of us connect with it. There is something distinctly feminine about it. And that is also kind of what Andre Breton loved about it. I mean, we kind of gave him a little bit of shit because it is the whole like a white male comes yeah. in and decides yeah. something. But he was an all right dude. And he actually really respected what Frida's work was. And he liked that it was something he couldn't produce. Like, he liked that it was feminine and different and had this strength to it because of that. It was intimate. It was intimate, exactly. That's what really gets me about Frida's work is that it just, like, gets you right in the little little sensitive part yeah. of your soul where you're just like, Ooh, oh my God, like, I know what you're feeling. Yeah. Like, and that's so crazy. Like that's true intimacy. And when you can feel intimate with an artist who died in 1954 and you can still get that feeling from their work, that's like a lot. Yeah, you know? exactly. Especially um, if you're like me and you don't want to feel intimate. <laughs> Capricorn. <laughs> so there was this feminine aspect, this deep 
feminine intimacy. We kind of talked about it a little bit before, but she she dealt with these female archetypes, particularly the mother archetype. And this goes back to both her Catholic upbringing and um, Catholic iconography, and also ties in to this desire to be a mother that wasn't ever realized because of the the abortions as well as the miscarriages that she suffered. So she's dealing on a lot of different levels, dealing with, you know, what some think of as what it means to be a woman. She's dealing with this mother archetype trying to create and sustain a life and not being able to, and also dealing with these images from her culture that she grew up with. So it's like this crazy mix of fascinating awesome real things going on here it's so much like i feel like as someone who was raised catholic but rejects christianity like i had to do all of all the shit you know the first communion and the, the third communion <laughs> confirmation i don't know what the i think fuck. you made that up <laughs> i did that's not it that's not a thing um it's not a thing i went to but, catholic school i had the uniform and everything yeah hey, i went to catholic college Ooh, oh I yeah myself, i'm a bad catholic i Ooh, still consider myself catholic that's I'm hot not good at it <laughs> i am um zero percent um, religious and and so was Frida. Frida Kahlo was a staunch communist. She was such a communist. She was all about freedom. She was all about the worker liberated and and uh, believed that religion was the opiate of the people. And and it was just there was so much. She hated religion, but I feel that Frida very much how I feel, and I don't know about the rest of y'all, but even. When you reject your Catholic upbringing, something about it always stays with you. For real. You can't that do like anything such about a real it. thing. Catholic it, guilt is the most real thing oh I know my in my life. God, it's <laughs> It's worst. in your soul, and you don't know how it got there, but it's there. And, <laughs> it, and it will never go away. And it's so bad. Like, wait, what is this? What are we looking <laughs> at? Natalie's sweet baby brother. Oh, look at He's it. He's an old Batman suit. I didn't mean to interrupt, but Corey found a little Batman confetti on the floor, <laughs> so I had to explain, because... Okay, you guys, about you guys, Dominic is turning four. So he is. So with, happy birthday, Dominic. Oh my god, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Dominic. You're such a sweet He's baby angel. Boy, wow. Is. Oh my god. Anyways, Catholic guilt. Catholic guilt. Um, so, you will experience someday. <laughs> so, so Frida. Frida was raised Catholic. Her mother was painfully Catholic. So growing up, as most of us were, and especially if you got that Mexican Catholicism, oh girl, oh girl, <laughs> it is bloody, it is guilty, it is nasty. So that Mexican Catholicism is like a whole nother level. I'm talking about bloody Christ. I'm talking about arrows going through Saint Sebastian. I'm talking about Mary crying, looking up at the fucking sky, like, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's just so much. Ay, Dios mío. Exactly. It's rough. Mexican Catholicism. It, it hurts my heart. So there is a form of painting called Ex Votos. 
So the ex votos are very small little devotional paintings that were painted on tin. And these small works would often be seen in your home. And they usually depicted some sort of, you know, um, saint's painful journey for something and, and you pray to it and it brings you, it brings your family like miracles. So these ex votos really influenced Frida's painting and that's a leading theory as to why she painted on such a small scale. I also read something talking about that there were a lot of these types of works based on bus accidents at the time. Really? Because it was so common. What? Yes. That is so cool. Leading I had no into, idea. Leading into it's not cool. It's terrible. Accident. But... Yeah, it was. So she was not, this was not like So there was a news. bunch of accidents. Yeah, this was not big news. When it wow. happened, it's not like people were shocked. Like this was something that happened a lot at that time. Jesus. Yeah, so it was common. I mean, I'm sorry. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> one of many, unfortunately. Um, but she so, was the most famous, we will say that. Yeah, I mean, so, wow, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. So honestly, Catholicism really influenced uh, Frida's work very much. So what do we think about when we think about Mexican Catholicism? We think about pain. We think about <laughs> suffering, blood, lots of blood, lots of crying. And Frida really identified with that. A, because she lived such a painful life physically. Her body was always in pain. B, that whole growing up in that atmosphere. I can relate. I love going to Catholic churches. Oh my I, God. Oh my God. Okay, let's be real though. Like, yeah, that's one thing that I'm... We all obviously have complicated relationships with our Catholic upbringing, but the crazy spiritual experience that you will have in a beautiful Catholic cathedral is like none other. It's crazy. You it's walk crazy. in there, you just feel humbled. You feel like... You're just this, like, holy shit. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like you feel, even if you're not sure if you believe in it, like you feel God somehow. And you're just like, all right. You're like, like okay, I don't believe that he's real, but... But, but maybe. maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's weird. It's intense and it's beautiful and it's kind of great. So, so one of my favorite little anecdotes is just from one of Frida's students because later in life Frida taught art classes in Mexico. So one of her students was interviewed for that documentary that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So her student recalls Frida really enjoying going to this little cathedral called La Conchita. I'm sure it has a more proper name, but they refer to it as La Conchita. And so at La Conchita, there was this Christ. The Christ was just bloody and miserable and crying and just like the most suffering Christ you've ever seen. And so Frida would tell her boys in Spanish, Muchachos, vénganse. Vamos a ver el Cristo sádico. Meaning... Boys, let's go. Let's go see the sadistic Christ. <laughs> and she just loved it. And, and her student recalls that she would just light up and that she really just loved seeing this, like, brutal, sadistic art. And I think that that kind of plays into it for me. Like, when I see these oh, yeah. images of the bloody saints, I'm like, wow, like, I... I don't know. And, and that kind of plays into the appeal of Frida's artwork because there is, it's oftentimes bloody, it's sad, it's intense, and I think we connect to that because life is bloody and sad and intense. Because it's metal as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But do we want to talk about 
the yeah, end of let's talk Frida's about the life. end. The end of Frida's life is weird and complicated, just like the beginning and the middle of her life. Um, <laughs> towards the end of her life, 1937, um, Leon Trotsky just shows up. Um, oh, being, Trotsky. Being the staunch communists that they were, Frida and Diego opened up their home in Coyoacan to Trotsky and his wife when um, Joseph Stalin was going through the, the, the famous purge of the Soviet Union and, and Trotsky was exiled. So he seeked asylum in Mexico and he lived with Frida and Diego. And that was working out really well until Trotsky and Frida Kahlo started a affair. Oh, well. And it just didn't end well. It didn't end well. I love when we... um. So Trotsky was like old dude and stuff and like he was old. He was an old guy. But I remember last year we were all in Art and Rev together and we had to read Trotsky. And I remember we came back after we had to read him and we were all like, Okay, Frida, I get it. Like, oh, yeah, we were like, you know, oh, I would have banged him too. Yeah, it's he okay. was he was a smart dude. He, he was, was. <laughs> Yeah, something about an old, sexy, smart Russian guy. I and know. Like, and those little glasses. I know and those Trotsky like, glasses. Let me take off those little glasses. <laughs> Oh, Trotsky. Anyway, they had an affair, and it was a whirlwind affair, and Diego Rivera found out and was like, oh, my heart. Oh, no, Frida, how could you hurt me like this? <laughs> and uh, we're all like, uh, hello. Like, you slept with, like, hundreds of women. But, Including um, her sister. Yeah. Not forgetting that yet. So it got... The, uh, the famous double standard right there. real. <laughs> um, yeah, so that all went to shit. <laughs> and Diego was like, get the fuck out of my house, you old piece of shit, and kicks him out. And Trotsky went to go live somewhere else in Mexico City. And within the year 1940, he was assassinated by a pickaxe in the back of his head. <laughs> Talk about nuts. a way to go. Nasty. Jesus. Ouch. Um, so he gets assassinated. <laughs> And that was just, you know, wow, that just sucked. The last few years of Frida's life after that were marked with incredible pain and suffering. They found gangrene on her right foot, and the doctor said, like, it's got to go. And um, so she had her, her right leg up to the knee amputated. Frida, at this point, became heavily addicted to morphine. I mean, who can blame her? I would have been addicted to morphine like years ago if I Dude, heard, okay, like, to be 100% real, when we're talking about the addiction like spectrum, that is the one I understand the most is like prescription yeah. painkillers cuz they are cozy as fuck. Yeah. And it's just like I get it. Like why yeah. would you not want to be cozy and happy all the yeah. time? Yeah. And makes sense. I mean, and and she was getting shot up. Like yeah. it was like it was real, it was the real deal. She was addicted to morphine really badly. She was also a raging alcoholic which is very sad and and um and things were just not well. By this point Frida and Diego we we kind of skipped this part. They had reconciled. They reconciled after she came back from France and you know they just missed each other. God, you know. We've all we know this story, goddamn it. Like you know he's not good for you, but, but you it. just miss each other. And um so they got back together and it you know and it was okay, but it wasn't that good. Frida and Diego they never, they never had sex again. Did you guys know that? No. I didn't. They did. They actually were never sexually intimate again after they had reconciled. But they were still in love and they were together. I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 
towards the end of her life, Frida's missed, she's, she got her leg amputated. She's addicted to morphine. She's an alcoholic. But she finally got her first solo show in Mexico yeah. City. Yeah. In 1953. She is very ill at this point. Um, she's bedridden once again. And she's determined not to miss her first solo show in her hometown. She really wants to go, rightfully. So what they did is really beautiful and unique. They set up her bed, her four-post bed, in the gallery. And an ambulance brought her to the show. And they basically gurneyed her in. On her her, bed. Yeah, Yeah, to her bed. And she was there bedridden, but at her show. And she was still the life of the party. Oh, yeah. Of course. We'll find some good good photographs to post of the whole event. But they do they do a little bit of a Hollywood version in the movie, if you watch the Frida movie. It's good. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, technically, from the research I read, they did not carry her in on her bed. They carried her to her bed, which was already there, but whatever. You know, small details. It's all. <laughs> Who cares? She was there in her bed, guys. That's fucking badass. It Forget is. a ball gown. She was there in her four-post bed. <laughs> Dope. Yeah. In her favorite attire, in her favorite oh, traditional. Tejuana. Yeah. It was, um, oh, cool. the Tejuana dress is a, it's a type of Indian that was uh, around that area in, in Mexico. And she looked stunning, guys. Beautiful. She amazing. On her deathbed, literally within a year of her death. Yeah, yeah. Frida at the time was suffering from bronchopneumonia, and that's really what killed her. There's tons of speculation. People think that she OD'd on morphine, that she committed suicide, but the fact is that she was just very ill, and it was just a matter of time. Her last public appearance was for a communist demonstration in Mexico City. She had no business being out on the street. She was very, very ill. She was in a wheelchair, but she was there. And until the day she died, she was a hardcore communist. And she died. And there's a really good quote by Diego Rivera. I don't have the exact quote, but it's... I don't know if it's the same one. I was going to say, because she died... She died when she was 47. What year was that? 1954. 1954. She was 47. Diego Rivera dies three years later. Yeah. So you kind of have that classic story of... And he was 20 years older than her. Yeah, yeah. And he says... What does he say? Doesn't he say, like, a light went out? Oh, yeah. I don't have that one. But, yeah, that's a real quote. Oh, it's so sad. I was just going to say that it was only after... I'm looking it up. It was only after she died that Diego understood the power of her love. And he's, like, quoted as saying that. Which I think is fucking dope. Even though he was, like, a little shit, I kind of just love that, at least in the end... He understood that he could not live without her. And I think that's amazing. That is so sad. It makes me, like, want to cry. Like, you asshole. Like, why would it take you this long to figure it out? God damn it. It just makes me so sad. It's like, but, you know, he he always loved her. Like, he always, you know, knew that she was, like, the light of his life. Here's the quote. July 13th, 1954 was the most tragic day of my life. I lost my beloved Frida forever. Till late, 
now I realize that the most wonderful part of my life had been my love for Frida. No! <laughs> Fuck. As long as he realized it. That just, like, that gives me solace, is that he knew at least, you know? I feel like she knew, too. Oh, yeah, she did. Listen. She would not she was too fierce to stay in something that where she wasn't yeah. actually loved. I know. know. I like to be all proud of her for being so bold and vulnerable, but come on, you gotta know that he's obsessed with you, too, if you're gonna be that into him. I believe it. Oh, she yeah. Knew. She knew. She definitely knew. You know. She just had bigger balls than he did to always be vocal about it. For she real. Knew. Because she vulner- vulnerability is strength, friends. And she was vulnerable in the strongest possible way. God, I feel the shit out of that. Like, right? I just know <laughs> that feeling so well where you're like, I know you don't love me anymore. <laughs> But I love you. What's that fucking that fucking famous quote? The behind every man, oh, strong man is a or behind every great man is a strong woman. Yeah, or some bullshit. And, yeah, it's total bullshit. But at the same time, it's totally true. Like Frida was way stronger than Diego, way stronger. And like in every way, in every physically, way, emotionally, even with her art, like Diego couldn't do anything that wasn't like huge and extra. Yeah, like, you know, like he just wanted to be like in your face all the time. Like I, I really enjoy Diego's murals, but like they don't speak to my soul the way there's Frida nothing, does. Yeah, none of his work is ever like so like very like intimate. There's nothing yeah. about his work that's ever like here's my soul. Like yeah, like never. look look at the inside of my heart and like see how hurt I it's am. It's like here these political ideals but I'm gonna kind of stay far enough back right. from it yeah yeah like and we're not degrading his work because no, he's no, no. amazing but there's um there's something to be said I really admire people who wear their heart on their sleeves I've always yes. been somebody like that like I walk into a room and everyone knows, like, if I've been upset, everyone's like, what happened? I'm like, you know, like, I I just think that that's, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, as someone kind of coming from a similar position, I mean, I'm a little maybe not as like vocal about how I feel all the time, but I definitely love intensely the way that Frida did. Like, I like when I, every time I like learn anything about Frida and about how intense her love was, I'm just like, I get it. Like, I know what that feels like. And I think it's so amazing that she, she never faltered from it. She just owned it. And it's like, yeah, girl, own that shit. Cause not enough people do. And we love you, Frida. <laughs> God. I just wish I could get, like, smashed with her. Oh my God. More than anything. Like, it's a question. Like, if you could, like, if you could get a drink with like someone alive or dead, like she is. Up I there. would. I would have a whole bottle of tequila with her. Yeah, and probably end up being lovers because why the For fuck real. not? Real Rita. She was so hot. Um, she was, she God, was the queen. God damn it. Oh man. Okay. Well, listener mail. All right. Okay, I'm coming in. Oh, really quick. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I've been looking for this for so long. I've been like, <laughs> she's silent. gotta read it. Well, because there's a Picasso quote about oh, Frida. Sh- oh, yeah. And we were friends. Yeah, yeah. So he said, "Neither Doreen nor I nor you are capable of painting a head like those of Frida Kahlo." Oh, oh. so her her there. little her hand earrings. Her, yeah, her hand earrings. Um, sweet and simple. He he gifted to her. Picasso. Picasso. Of course. That actually fits perfect with our listener mail. Um, okay, so listener mail. We've got two listener mails, too. All Love right. It. Okay, so our first one comes from Celia, who I want to say 
Celia is a total babe. She's like our number one fan right now. Aww. She just wrote the cutest review for us on iTunes, which we very much appreciate. She's also supporting us on Patreon. Woo! So Celia, you're just like a total fucking rock star. Um, My if, baby. If you want to be like Celia, <laughs> go on to iTunes and write us a review. We freak out over them. Um, also, if you can, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Art History Babes. If you have like a dollar you want to spare. Send us your nickels and dimes. Yeah, we also freak out about it. So if you like what we're doing and you want to be super cool like Celia, do that. Um, but we also got a listener mail from Celia and she said, Hello, Art History Babes. I was listening today to your Color Theory Part 1 podcast and I thought you might want to hear one of the theories for Pablo Picasso's shift from blue period to the rose period. When studying art history, I love to see how the personal life of an artist affects their artistic path. In this case, like you said, his blue period is correlated to the death of a friend. Well, the rose period coincides with him meeting Fernande Olivier. She was a French artist who modeled for Picasso. They very quickly became involved and after a year moved in together. The relationship lasted seven years and was a passionate and tumultuous one. Oh, know oh. it. I know it. <laughs> They were both extremely jealous, which led to a relationship filled with drama and violence. There's some fascinating stories about the couple, (laughs) including Picasso locking her in his studio to keep her from seeing other men or burning her with a cigarette. Oh, shit. She was an inspiration for several of his pieces, including Demoiselle de Avignon. As Picasso became more popular, he lost interest in her and they separated. Anyway, some art historians believe that Fernande pulled him away from his blue period into the rose one. Just thought you'd be interested in hearing about this. P.S. Love what you guys do. Cheers. We are super interested in hearing about this. Thank you for following up on our color theory episode. We love stuff like this. Art historical anecdotes. Love it. That's our favorite thing. It is. So if you, any listeners out there have... Any follow-up on anything we talk about, please send it our way because it's yeah. super fascinating. Yeah. And I hope maybe in the future, maybe when we do a like a red or a pink episode, we could talk about Picasso's oh, Rose period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to know more about Fernande Olivier. I know, right? Thank you, Celia, for just being a dope person. And, what a uh, doll. You are a doll. Thank you. Um, and then we have second listener ma- mail. Hello, babes. First, I'd just like to say that I love, love, love the podcast. I've been recommending it to all my friends. Thank you so much. We love, love, love you. For real. I just finished listening to the second part of your Cubist episode and was wondering if those book recommendations were somewhere on your website or one of your other platforms. In response to that, I will post on our blog tag. I will do this like, maybe not tomorrow because I'm busy tomorrow, but sometime this week, I will post on our blog tag the book recommendations that we gave at the end of the Cubist episode and maybe any other ones we come up with. Yeah. Um, just so we you got guys have books. A, we got yeah. so many books. By the so, time this episode is posted, there will we be, will have done it. Yeah, there will be a blog post with book recommendations on it for you. So thank you for following up on that. Let's see, your discussion about primitivism also reminded me of an article by Aldolf Luce called An Ornament in Crime. <gasps> I'm sure you've all read it, but if you haven't, we haven't. I haven't. Have you guys? Really no, read. what do I look like? Someone who reads? <laughs> what is this? I haven't read it. I it, know Luce, though. It, she says, if you haven't and are looking for a laugh, it's pretty great. Not that it's meant to be funny, obviously, but it is. Also, you touched briefly on cultural appropriation, and I just read an article about it on Facebook, 
feel free to let me know your thoughts. Haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but we are going to post both that article you mentioned and this link um, about cultural appropriation also on our webpage. Yeah. So people can join in the conversation because it's a very important conversation and I'd love to keep it going. So thank you for sending that our way. Keep up the awesome job with the podcast, life, school, book recommendations. You gals are just so awesome. P.S. I'm living through you as I've always thought it would be rad to get an art history degree. P.S. 2. Shout out to Corey. Girl, you're so cool. Thank you. Because this comes from Megan, who I went to middle school with. Oh, baby. Yeah. And Megan's a doll and she's an artist and she's a dope artist. So we'll we'll totally give you a shout out on our our stuff. We'll like. Yeah, send us some pictures. Yeah. We'll we'll link some of your artwork onto our stuff because she's an absolutely beautiful artist. And we. Yeah, we went to. Uh, we went to eighth grade together in a Aww. tiny little town in Iowa. <laughs> what a babe. And yeah, she's a total babe. So thank you, Megan, so much. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. And I'm so glad you're, like, killing it and being an awesome artist. Kill it. You're an inspiration, and we love you. Thanks, um, Megan. So thank you, listeners. You're all great. Thank you for listening to this really long episode on Frida Kahlo. God, there was, there was just no way it was going to be short. It, so, there was, it was never going to happen. I'm pretty proud because it looks like we kept it under two hours. Woo! So, yeah. way to go, babes. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, if you have questions, ideas, concerns, anything, our email address yeah. is arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Um, you can also like us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Art History Babes. You can find us on Instagram, Art History Babes Podcast. You can find me out on the streets, <laughs> yo. Um, we're on Tumblr, <laughs> our website, arthistorybabes.com, with all of our images and just stuff about us and random shit. Um, <laughs> all kinds of things out there about us. Please, you know, join in the conversation. Join we, in. We love you all. Tune in. Drop it, out. And- <laughs> thanks timothy leary (laughs) but y'all are awesome and thanks for listening to our episode about frida peace so funny that some dude shows up (laughs) and tells a woman well here's what you are you didn't know but here now you know like thanks dick yeah (laughs) you know